Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve now, I was going to ask, I want to start today off, and if, if you are joining us for the first time, we are kind of going through the book of John. We're going a little bit deeper, taking a look at some of the nuggets that perhaps you don't see when you're just kind of reading it uh, on, a, on a daily basis. And some of these things sometimes we don't see. Sometimes we don't see some of the context and the culture of, of, of what is, is taking place. And I um, wanted to ask... A question. And I would believe, now I don't know, but I would believe that um, all of us can relate to this question. And it is this Have you ever been called out? Do you know what I mean by called out? Now, uh, for those of you who might know, there are certain times where perhaps we are going in a direction that maybe um, we shouldn't be. Or maybe, you know, we are not being truthful to ourselves. Or maybe we're even being hypocritical. Or having an ulterior, or ulterior motive, and for some reason we're kind of going along in that for some reason. And all of a sudden someone, usually someone who loves us, someone who is closest to, not, uh, close to us or knows us well enough that they are willing to risk hurting us, will speak truth into our lives to put us back in the place where perhaps we should be. Ever had a person like that? You have a friend who is willing to risk and love you enough to risk hurting you. Many times that person is our spouse, but we won't even get into that, will we? You know, there's something in, in, in Scripture, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, that says, Faithful are the wounds from a friend rather than the kisses of an enemy. That the times that those people who are willing to extend themselves to help you when you can't see where you are going. This is seen throughout Scripture. It's seen in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. It is seen that probably the greatest case that we see it is in the Old Testament when there is a prophet whose name is Nathan ends up calling out David for the sin that was in his life. And I think of that instance and ask, what would have happened to David if God in his love didn't show Nathan what was going on? to bring him back to the person that God wanted him to be. Sometimes the person who calls you out might be a counselor. You might be going through a difficult time and you're saying all these things and this counselor has the wisdom to say, you know, you're actually lying to yourself. This is what you're saying, but, but really this is what is going on. What I see going on and what you are saying and going on are two totally different things. Any amongst you have accountability partners. I have accountability partners all the time. And if you want an accountability partner, you need to have somebody who will be willing to tell you hard truth. Because when you deal with issues of faith and sin and accountability, you need someone to say, I think you are full of baloney in Jesus' name or however you want to say it. Because there is in all of us the propensity to fool ourselves. Is that not true? It is Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's why many times when we take a look at the Word of God, the Word of God can call us out. Or God will use individuals to do it. 
because the Holy Spirit, who knows the innermost parts of our being and knows our hearts and knows our motives, wishes us to be in the right place. And so in the benevolent fashion, to call someone out is actually an act of love, is it not? And that's why, that's why we read scriptures like Psalm 51, where David, as he's repenting of the sin in his life, he says, truly you desire truth in the inmost parts. I know for myself, as I do, division, as I do my devotions, there's a certain prayer uh, pattern that I have. And one of the things that I often pray is this. God, make the outside equal to the inside. Because I think that's where God wants us to be. Is the outside equal to the inside? It's not always an easy thing to do. Because we have these defense mechanisms that keep us from showing our vulnerabilities and we become kind of like onions where all of a sudden there's these layers. That, and to get to the core of who we are, we have to peel some of these things off. And the challenge with serving Jesus is this, is that God will continually be mining your heart for truth. And this is the case in John chapter 6, verses 22 to 71. So if you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 6, verses 22. We're going to be going for a little distance here, a little bit of a marathon, but I think that there's some huge truths in here, and I believe that God wants to say something to all of our hearts today through them. John 6, verse 22. It says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no boat there except that which Jesus and the disciples entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone away. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread, and the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boat and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, if you remember the previous verses or the previous part of John chapter 6, Jesus had fed the 5,000. This is the remnant of that 5,000. In between that, Jesus walks on the water, begins to show something of, of truth to the disciples. But this is the, this is the repercussions. The conversation we're about to hear is the repercussions of this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus answered, verse 26, Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the, Lord which, which for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal or everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because the, God the Father has set his seal on them. Then they said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to him, This is the work of God that you believe in him who sent. He sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see and believe in you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert as it was written, and he gave bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. 
And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life who comes. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no means cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up in the last day. Verse 40, for those who are kind of still following along here, he says, and this, will, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him at the last day. The Jews complained about him and said, I that he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered them and said, do not murmur amongst yourselves. No man can come, unto the, un, come to me unless the father who sent him draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, the one that, that, may eat, then, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which, is, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 52. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How is this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he feeds on, feeds on me. Will so so he who feeds on me, sorry, will um, live because uh, of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of the disciples then heard this saying, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to him, does this offend you? What then shall I do? What shall what then if you see the Son of Man ascend, where is he before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there is there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that that one no one can come to me unless the Father has, grant, has been granted to him by the, my Father. From that time, many disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, not the son of Simon. 
for it is he who will betray him, being one of the twelve. Well, that's a long passage of scripture, is it not? There's a lot of things which are said in that passage, and it will be impossible for me to go through those 50 verses intently with you. But there are some important things that have been said. You know, there's that one passage where it says, no one comes to, to the Father unless, or to the Son unless God leads him. That's a scripture that we use all the time. Not only that, in that particular passage, you hear the very first of what is called the I am statements. Now, like we know, and I've said before, there were seven signs or seven miracles that Jesus shows in the book of John. There are also seven I am statements. What's so special about these? These are special statements that God uses to reveal who he is to the people. And it is termed this way. The word ami in Greek means I am. But it also says the word ego. Ego, ami. And ego means I. So if you were to literally say this, it would say this. I, I am the bread of life. Why does he do that? Well, because in scripture and in Greek, if they want to emphasize something, they will say the same word twice. So instead of saying, I am the bread of life, it is this. I and the bread of life. And if I could quickly go over a couple of things, I'll say this. This passage deals with three important issues. First of all, he is exposing himself to be the son of God. Now, this is something that James, or sorry, John is relentlessly consistent on from the very first book, or first of the Bible, or very first verse of John, the Gospel of John. Jesus is saying this. You see it in every one of the scriptures that go, every chapter he's talking about the fact he is not letting anybody have any other doubt of the fact that this is not someone who was good or just good or not someone who had some great things to say or maybe did some pretty good miracles. This was actually God. And he wants to get this out. The other thing that this, this, this passage of scripture talks about is that not only is he exposing himself as the son of God, He's exposing the hearts of the people. And we'll get into that. The last thing he does is he exposes the cost of serving him. If you're going to serve me, you've got to give me everything is what he says. You can't half serve me. You can't just give me 95%. You have got to give it all to me. It, it will only make sense if you give it all to me. And you cannot uh, in any way barter in any way. It is all or it is nothing with me. Now, it's kind of funny. Of all the people in the New Testament who speaks hardly about the cost of discipleship, it is Jesus. Nobody emphasizes that more than Jesus himself. But as you read this passage of Scripture, I believe that there's, there's, there's like a conflict. It almost seems that what Jesus is saying and what the audience are saying are two different things. It's almost like they're speaking two different languages. Have you kind of find that as you look at this particular passage of Scripture? And I believe that this is for a reason. Have you ever analyzed the words of Jesus? Do you ever... See how Jesus speaks with different types of words. He will speak with what I will call disguised words. What are disguised words? Well, he speaks in a manner many times where some people will understand and other people won't. The parables. 
The parables were constructed so that some people will get it, and those people who weren't meant to get it won't get it. Not only that, he spoke with what I will call direct words. Verily, verily, I say unto you, for those King James fans, I say this of a truth. I'm about to tell you something really, really important, so you better listen up. How many times has he said that through the scripture? He uses what I will call depictive words. In other words, he speaks with symbolism because what he is talking about is spiritual. It is eternal. It is heaven. It has to do with the spiritual realm. And so in order to articulate what it really means, he uses symbolic language that many times can be confusing. And he uses, obviously, drastic words. In this particular passage, he uses drastic words to say this is important. Ever read that passage where Jesus is talking and he says this? Listen, you're better off to pluck your eye out and go into heaven with one eye than go with both of your eyes into a lost eternity. And the same thing with your hand, the same thing with your arm. That's not implying that Jesus wants to see a bunch of pirates going into heaven. Really, right? The eyes, what you look at. The hands, what you do. Your feet, where you go. He's saying, listen, you need to take serious the things that you do. You can't compromise when it comes to stuff like that. And in, even in here, you'll notice in this passage of scriptures, I think that he analyzes, uses all these four types of language and words to get something across. And the reason that he does was not because Jesus often talked to ears. Jesus always talked to the heart. And the reason he talked to the heart was because the words that you hear will be absorbed according to the filter or the fence that is around your heart. And I'll say this, throughout history it hasn't changed. And just as Jesus talks with people with different hearts, there are a number of hearts I see, and I want to mention to you here this morning, if you can give me a few minutes, that I think every single one of us there was probably one of those hearts which is represented here this morning. And my prayer is that God will somehow speak in the midst of that, if he could. The first thing would be this. He talks about what I will call the authentic heart. The first thing Jesus questions of this particular group, who are the residue of what has come from, from the uh, the feeding of the 5,000. He says, is your heart authentic? Verse 20, 29, Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he sent. What I want you to do is actually believe. Now this term believe is used a whole lot, so much more in John than any other verse of the Bible. In the New Testament, that word for belief, the Greek word for believe, is used about 241 times in the New Testament. In the book of John, 98 times. Jesus is saying, you need to actually believe in me. Jesus did this all the time. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. You praise me with your lips, but your hearts are from, far from me. 
And the truth is this. I think all of us at certain times in our life have trouble being authentic. And the reason that is, is because our heart sways in such a way that it turns us away from authentic living. And we begin to connive to get what we want, which is best for ourselves, and we become good at concealing and justifying the way that we live. I always like the prayer of David in, in David chapter 139, verse 23 and 24, which says this, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a great prayer to continually pray. God, continually look at my heart and reveal to me the times where I'm going off. Does, does the outside equal the inside? And this has been a question that for years and centuries, holy men of God have sought after. Say, God, what do I do to make my heart authentic? One particular author was a fellow whose name was Thomas Merton. Perhaps you've read a number of his books. He came up with a prayer. This is what the prayer was. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I am following your will does not mean that I actually am doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I, that, that desire in all that I am doing... I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know about it. Therefore, I trust in you always. Though it may seem, I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. The authentic prayer. The authentic prayer is weighted by what we will call, or the authentic heart is weighted by what we will call the agenda heart. And I think we all know what the agenda heart is, isn't it? The agenda heart works under the premise that there is an ulterior motive to our purpose in serving Jesus. And that many times our prayers and our intimate moments are God, of God are just masked with attempts to actually get what we want. And sometimes this leads to what will be called a transactional relationship with God, which is this. Listen, God, I will serve you and I will worship you and I will go through all the motions of serving you as long as you are able to relatively get me what I want. And all of a sudden there's this transaction and once God doesn't live up to his side of the deal, then that becomes a problem to us because there's an agenda there. It's not really about serving him. And certainly the people in, in John chapter 6 had an ulterior motive, didn't you think? They were looking for someone who would liberate the people of that day, to liberate the nation, that God will do something to these terrible people who are making life miserable for us, just like Moses. They weren't looking for a Messiah. They were looking for another Moses. And that's why you hear about Moses so much in this passage of Scripture. Hey, Moses, hey, Moses, hey, he, he provided, you know, uh, uh, manna in the wilderness. And you see they're minimizing the miracle of Jesus already, right? He's saying basically, Jesus, that meal was terrific. But Moses fed us every day. Right? 
Jesus, you're no Moses. And Jesus' response was this. Moses didn't feed the people. God fed the people. And I am the prophet that you were looking for, but it's not in the way that you think it is going to happen. It's interesting. Verse 26, he says this. You seek me not because you sought the signs, but because you ate the loaves and, the, and, and, the, and were filled. You know what I've come to realize about my own life? And I can't speak for you, but I'm sure this is true. I will always, until the day that I die, I will always be dealing with the ulterior agenda in my life. There will always be that temptation to put myself or to con God into doing what I want him to do. I know that there have been times where I've spent prayer and I've said this. I, I call it the MAT method. No mask, no ask, no task, which is basically this. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to show God exactly who I am. I'm not going to ask for anything. All I'm going to do is sit in the presence of Jesus. And I'm not going to include any kind of task because any kind of task that I do is connected to who I am. And if I can spend those times, I believe that the authenticity of the Holy Spirit works through me. But it's not easy. The agenda heart. Now, there's a few other hearts. Can I give them to you? There's the antagonistic heart. You see that in this story as well. The antagonistic heart is one where the heart gets warped or tainted view because everything is seen or interpreted through our own pain and our own experiences. Think about the people who Jesus is talking to. There had been no prophet for centuries. They were in subjection for many, many years. And this, over the years, had to affect them. The way that they lived their lives, the way that they had seen things. And it tainted them. If this is the way the situation is, it must be the way that God is. And God becomes, and our heart becomes conformed to the lens of our experience. That the hard knocks in life taint how we realize and how we respond. Because we interpret life by how things have gone or how things are presently going. And no longer do we see the way God sees it. We see the way maybe the world sees it or the way we are presently experiencing it. And the reality is this. You have probably gone through some terrible experiences in your life. But I don't ever think that God wants those experiences or those hard times to define you. You have had a difficult year so far, and it's not even into February. There was a death in the family. Someone assaulted you, and you are living through that experience every single day. That childhood memory, that war that is presently going on, that bankruptcy that has happened, the divorce that you're going through, the illness you are facing, the emotional breakdown that you're going through, that embarrassing situation, that sin that doesn't seem to leave, that mistake that landed you in trouble, don't have to define you. That God is speaking past the experience into your heart if you will allow him. And your experience sometimes changes the way you pray. And sometimes the bitterness or the hardness of what you're going through taints 
what you are experiencing today. But God in that process says, I'm here. Don't be conformed to the situation that you are in. Keep your eyes on God. Antagonistic heart. How about this one? The amazement heart. Oh, you certainly see the amazement heart, do you not? The amazement heart insists on being stimulated by the experience. God, show me another miracle. Supper was great. Now, God, what's for dessert? In this case, God, what's for breakfast? You see verse 30? What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? We get enlightened by the senses. We enjoy the thought that what God has done makes us feel good. We live off the adrenaline of faith. We become enthralled with the experience. We enjoy the high of being captivated. We become mesmerated to the point where it becomes what we strive after rather than God. Oh, God is great, but I want to see another miracle. And we become acceleration junkies. And I don't think that God desires that, and that's exactly why he exposes it. And as Pentecostals, folks, we may be amongst the most guilty of this. We begin to chase after the rain cloud. We enjoy God. See, we like to glow with God on the mountain, but many times we don't want to grow with God in the valley. And folks, we need both, don't we? We need those times where we need to see God move. But the times that you grow are in the valley. You ever hear of Demas in Scripture? Paul talks about him. He assisted Paul. And, and you hear about him helping out quite a bit until all of a sudden one of the last letters that Paul writes to Timothy says this, Demas left me. Having loved this world, he has left me. Now it doesn't tell you all the details in that, but some people have, have thought this. That in the times where he had served them, there were lots of miracles that were happening. There were lots of revival times which are taking place. There were lots of times where they saw the hand of God moving. It was exciting times. But this that he was going through now was not exciting times. He was in prison. And by prison, I mean a hole in the ground. And the whole process was the fact that he no longer was able to live off the adrenaline of the last miracle. And he begins to walk away. Amazement heart can be amongst the most dangerous things that you can have. Antagonistic heart, amazement heart. Hey, there were people there who had what I will call an amiss heart. What do you mean by that? Well, there were people there where it didn't matter what Jesus said. He could have said everything the way that they wanted or however they thought it should be. But it didn't matter. They were just so totally oblivious and totally blind, and they were hopelessly gone from it. Verse 42. Isn't this Jesus? Isn't this the guy we know? We know his dad. We know his sister. Is he, is he really saying that stuff? Or verse 60. That's pretty hard sayings. I don't know if I believe this. And what happens is God needs to lift the veil because it's not an intelligent thing. It is a spiritual thing. What happens is that they get seared by rebellion or they get slanted by pride or they get sucked in by the bitterness to the point where God used to speak to them maybe, but no longer does he do so. 
And they become so hardened that unless a miracle takes place, unless there is a parent praying for them, unless there is an individual who is speaking in the Spirit, they don't hear. They're caught up into the whole thing. That We need to pray for, for them because they are stubbornly lost in rebellion against God. One more. Can I give you one more? By far, one of the biggest things that were there is what I will call the assuming heart, the assumption heart. And basically, the assumption heart is this, is that we make declarations or we misuse or misunderstand the Word of God. And so all of a sudden, we think something is the Word of God because it's been taught to us since we were a kid or something that we wanted to believe so much that we saw it as truth, and it's not. And we have assumed something which is not true. And this many times happens through Scripture. This is what was happening here. They were assuming that this is the way that God was going to move. And right away, you know that you're probably in a wrong place because as soon as you think that this is the way that God is going to move, he moves the opposite way. It's true. The Pharisees, they assumed that if we added a whole bunch of laws to the law that we have, that'll get us closer to Jesus. It didn't work. Sometimes we assume, well, I can continue on in this lifestyle because, because God is a God of grace and he's not going to look at my sin. I can live this lifestyle and I can live this way. Or we see someone else living that and, and, and they're engaged in sin or they're engaged in a lifestyle and they say, they're a nice person. So therefore, I will change the word of God so that it feels better. We never ever interpret God according to how we feel. Hey, if I give $100, I believe that God is going to give me $1,000 in a week. Did God, did God really say that? Now, there are certainly things about generosity that open, that open God to being generous to you. But there's nothing in there that says, listen, give $10, God will give you $100. That's an assumption that I've hurt people. Most people have left faith because of assumption. Maybe the biggest assumption is this. And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching and you're delivering on with this. All I got to do is be a good person. I will make it to heaven. The assumption is this, that, that if I do more good than more bad, and generally I'm a good person, therefore I should make it to heaven. The Bible doesn't say that at all. So many people go into heaven with the assumption that they're going to make it based on the fact that they feel that they live a good life. The truth is this. The default for us is hell, being lost. We are sinners from the time that we are born. We need God. And if you're here listening to this, if you're watching this online, don't make that assumption, going to eternity lost assumption. So basically Jesus says this, are you hungry? What are you hungry for? You guys are talking about physical hunger. I'm talking about spiritual hunger. And if you come to me, you will never be hungry or thirsty again. And many of them didn't get it. You know that verse where it says many of these people did not believe and many of them walked away? You know what verse that's in? John 6, 66. Isn't that crazy? Here's the thing. Jesus never speaks to ears. He speaks to hearts. My question to you is this. Where's your heart? What is God saying to your heart 
right now at this present time. God, I want to be authentic in every way, but I realize that there are competing things in there that are drawing me away from you. God, I just want to repent of that today. God, I have been hardened by all these terrible things that have happened in my life. And now I've come to realize that, that, that I, I have not been able to experience God for such a long time because of this, this mountain of hurt that is in my life. And God, I repent today. God, I've just been chasing I've just been chasing after the miracles and, and that, and all of a sudden I've come that it's been about the miracle and it hasn't been about you, and God, I want to turn away from that. I want you to move in my life. Where is your heart today? And is God calling you out? You know what Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says? Above all things, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. God, I just pray that you move in each and every heart today. And thank you for every person who's here who's put up with me as I, I tried to get all this out. But I pray right now in Jesus' name that you will speak to each and every heart today. And God, that's something I can't do. That is the spirit thing. So, Lord, I just pray that you will move in our hearts and call us out on the things, Father, that are holding us back from really knowing, experiencing you. Allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to move in those people who may not even know you. And today, God, you are calling them today. And if you don't know Jesus, you can accept him today at this altar this morning. I encourage you to come. And if you're here in any way where the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, I encourage you to find a place at the front of the altar. We stand at this time. God, I pray the blessing of Almighty God upon each and every individual who is here today, those who might be watching online or who will eventually watch during the week. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray past my own abilities, Father, for your spirit to move in the hearts and the lives of people. God, do something deep in our lives, I pray. And Lord, let us draw closer to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.